Yo. Yo, what's up, dude? Can you hear me? You're loud and clear. Am I coming through? Yeah. Word. So, dude, we're officially live on a podcast, man. It's exciting stuff. It's my first real podcast. <laughs> so, uh, dang, bro. So, like, what do you do? Who are you, man? They call me Cam. Uh... <laughs> But uh, I work as an investment banker in Charlotte um, in the healthcare coverage group. Help healthcare companies raise capital, debt, and equity, and uh, advise through mergers and acquisitions. But uh, kind of just a normal guy, man. I like to uh, chill with friends, play some tennis. Yeah, Getting into crypto, which you're obviously the master of, so learning from you a lot. <laughs> it's been exciting. Hey, this is fun, man. So, um, yeah, bro. So, what's uh, what's your take on the economy, man? Well, I think uh, first things first, inflation is not uh, transitory, <laughs> as Fed <laughs> officials have said. Um, at least in the way I like interpret the word transitory, meaning like temporary, because it's it seems like it's been uh, a long process, and it's. It, it was pretty visible. I feel like a lot of people saw it coming, so it's not like it's a surprise to many people. But uh, right, I think honestly, it's it's like the Fed officials talking about the transitory transitory effect. Like it has effects on uh, consumer sentiment, so it's like they're kind of trying to shape expectations, which is understandable. But like it kind of makes them look ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny when you put it that way. So basically, we have inflation just like, do you think that, so what, is inflation a global problem, do you think? Or or how do you look at how it's like affecting other countries too? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, you look at developing countries and, you know, third world countries, inflation is kind of always an issue and that's always been there. Um, Why do you think that is, by the way? Just if we can dive into that real quick. Yeah, I think it probably has to do with a lack of just infrastructure. Um, you know, like the United States obviously has a very established central bank in the Fed, whereas other countries, um, there isn't as much demand for their currency, I think. And it's harder to kind of like regulate that currency for central banks and other countries that are kind of developing and finding their way. Um to create growth and GDP. Um, so I think it's just like an environment where it's very easy for that currency to kind of like devalue versus others. Yeah, I would completely agree, man. It's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of like this, uh, the ability to print more of anything will always, I remember hearing Gary Vaynerchuk talk about, I think it was the 1990s, the, the wax junk era. And it was basically this time in baseball cards where they just printed tops was the company. And they just printed so much supply because there was so much demand that there was this huge crash of value in baseball cards in, in those, you know, following decades. And it's kind of the way that I've always looked at how, you know, a lot of these fiat monetary systems have worked since they've been backed by gold in like the seventies. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think there is a good reason uh, as to why, like, the United States did get off the gold standard. Um, but with that being said, like, the current system and being able to create money, um, that definitely has its issues, as we've kind of seen over the last two years here in the United States with inflation. But, uh, you know, it's a tough question, kind of like any any big question, whether it be, like, from a monetary policy standpoint or fiscal, like, these are big questions. And obviously, the uh, the correct answers, if there are any, aren't apparent. So that's why they're so widely debated. But, yeah, it definitely is an issue, I think, with uh, inflation today and fiat currencies and governments and central banks being able to just print money kind of at will. What do you think? Um, because I, I love hearing different perspectives and different things. And one thing that maybe just because I hang around too many crypto people, <laughs> what what is the what is one of the perspectives for why getting off the gold standard was like a thing? Just like I've heard a few that make like sense, but I, I'd love to hear your perspective, Ken. Yeah, so um like what was the what was the impetus for that? So the money supply was or excuse me, not the money supply, the the value of of the dollar was tied to the to gold, right? Um Yeah. The thing with gold though is that there's obviously a limited supply. Right. So you know, when when or if, I guess when is the better way to put it because this is the past and bad things have happened. When when recessions occur, it's natural like human tendency for people to want to hold on to their assets. And when, yeah. when the, the national currency is tied to like a finite asset that can't be expanded, um people will want to hold onto those assets more because they're scarce and therefore that drives value. But that right. decreases the overall velocity of money in the economy. Like uh, money won't be flowing. People aren't going to consume. And that just kind of exacerbates the problem even further. If that makes sense. So like aggregate yeah. demand is, yeah. is, is hurt initially because of whatever causes a recession. And then since there's a finite amount of, of gold, people are going to want to hold on to that gold, which further kind of exacerbates the issue because there's even uh, further limitations to like how much money is being circulated in the economy. Um, that, that was, that's the main issue I see with it. Um, and which is why we kind of got off the gold standard switched to more of like the current system where the fed, the central bank can manipulate the money supply by either like buying or selling treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Um, and by doing so, they can kind of affect the interest rate. Uh, so increasing the money supply will, will lower the interest interest rates in the economy, which will kind of you know stimulate borrowing, which is kind of necessary when, uh, you know, when things are down bad because you need to get that money flowing back in the economy and shift aggregate demand to the right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, do you think that there's a, uh, first of all, Cam, just quick shout out, he's uh, very knowledgeable in the financial sectors, and I, I believe he's going to be starting a podcast soon. Just, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that, I'm not or, sure. Or, or, excuse me, a YouTube channel. Sorry. Yeah, starting a YouTube channel here. 
trying um, to anyway. Yeah, man. So, like, one thing I wanted to, to ask or just open up a conversation about is this, you know, we hear we hear certain politicians on the on Bitcoin, you know, discuss that are pro U.S. dollar. Right. They just they just want to make the U.S. dollar, you know, the, the global currency and and basically to make it stronger and whatnot. But do you see a world where that's you know, possible? Or do you think that we're always going to, to just live on this, this current monetary inflationary cycle, and then just also have other assets that we can preserve our wealth in like Bitcoin? Um, how do you how do you look at the future of that? Yeah, I mean, I, like you have obviously been into crypto and the DeFi space for a lot longer than I have. And you know, right. at first, when you first mentioned all this stuff, I was like, what the hell is this dude talking about? Like, this is <laughs> bullshit. Like, it's like, of course, you know, it's the dollar is always going to be the reserve currency. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I just kind of started recently even diving deeper. Um, so I'm trying to learn more about the space. I find it pretty interesting now. And I'm currently like a believer um, where I wasn't necessarily before. So I, I think, you know, things are going to probably change um, with the blockchain. I think cross-border payments are going to be so much easier especially if you know every country can kind of have and operate on like one currency um that'll kind of take current uh or excuse me foreign exchange risk out of out of transactions um and will kind of reduce fluctuations in the dollar or, or any other currency and i think one issue is you know when when the dollar strengthens it's you know, good for Americans to buy uh, foreign goods because they're relatively cheaper um, and we can, you know, import. But from a, a GDP perspective, when the dollar strengthens, that's not necessarily a, a great thing because American goods, they become relatively more expensive to foreign countries and therefore we're not able to export our product as much, which, you know, in turn kind of reduces our ability to yeah exactly our ability to export or the demand for our our goods exactly yeah that decreases but um i think these are all kind of issues that you know bitcoin and and DeFi and you know blockchain technology can and probably will solve and going into the future i mean uh we've already seen some platforms like ave um take you know market share i think probably from the banks with their consumer to consumer lending platforms i mean you can obviously speak to that a lot better than i can at this point but some cool products going on in the space and i think definitely DeFi and crypto is probably the future yeah i mean DeFi is crazy man i uh i first used ave i think in december and i deposited some some crypto in there and then obviously i learned about block and celsius and it just was such an easier experience to use some of those uh, digital banks, I call them with zero overhead compared to, you know, a lot of real banks that we have here in the States that have to have to take our money and essentially make more money with our money, but also need to pay for their real estate costs for their employees. Whereas like Celsius and BlockFi, since it's all digital, they can do the same banking services and literally just like funnel more profits in the form of interest to our crypto investments. Right. Yeah. It's super cool. 
it's it's uh pretty interesting but uh, on a different note yeah this whole this whole dilemma is is actually pretty fascinating um hmm. yeah you made me think about something and i was gonna ask you a follow-up on it but you kind of took me down the DeFi. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about? What do you think about like all these like synthetics, like the derivatives, like platforms? Like maybe maybe even if you don't have any thoughts on it, we could just discuss that for a second. Like how cool is it that you can basically make a derivative of any asset on synthetics and you can take like I've seen a synthetic Tesla stock, which is basically a derivative of Tesla's value that's derived from price oracles. And you can mint it on synthetics and hold a crypto version that doesn't yield any deb- dividends unless you like pool it or stake it to add liquidity. OK. But essentially, it's like holding Tesla. And now you can sell it to people, decentralize it all over the world. What do you think about those kinds of things? Yeah, I don't, that sounds incredible, actually. I don't know much about synthetics, to be honest. Like, I don't know how the mechanics of all that works, but that sounds super interesting. I've always been really into uh, derivatives and more in particular, like trading options. That's something I, I love doing, but obviously kind of the traditional way. So I would love to kind of learn more about how synthetics, you know, makes that happen in the crypto space. What, what was that thing you mentioned about um, price oracles? Is that what you said? Yeah. So basically, it it's like the something needs to be able to say, okay, this is going to stay the same value as Tesla stock, and that's done through like these oracles that grab real world data of the Tesla stock, mm-hmm. and because there's enough liquidity backing the minting of these stocks they're able to create assets that using these price oracles will fluctuate in value and people can trade against them people can trade with them on this like on open decentralized exchanges oh that's super cool so essentially like anyone anyone in the world could have access to like this this tesla derivative yeah it's crazy bro that is super interesting um yeah i'll have to look more into that that would be super cool space to kind of explore there's just so many different like you know as i've just kind of started recently doing research on crypto there's just so many different like spaces and projects within you know the broader ecosystem it's just like so cool so interesting there's so much going on it's hard to keep up with but that sounds like a super cool uh super cool d5 uh protocol that synthetics has yeah there's another one too and it's um I want to say it's called mirror and it's mirror I'm looking it up right now and basically on mirror it's the same thing so I think they might be the ones that have actually created the um I'm going on it right now to see and they may have gotten some backlash too because the one thing up in the air is still yeah so like if you go on to mirror or terra dot mirror dot finance slash trade you can see and and if you go into the web app and you go to trade they have something for um they have this one called m nflx which tracks the value of netflix 
they have something for Alphabet or Airbnb, excuse me, M-A-B-N-B. They have M-Square. And these are all cryptocurrencies that track the value of like the stocks. And you can basically trade against them, short them. You know, you can trade with them. You can buy them. And you can sell them on open decentralized exchanges. And literally anybody in the world can now access these things. So, so sorry, backing up here a second. So when you say like, that these track the uh, the value of those stocks. So it's, it's essentially kind of like a stable coin for those stocks, except it's decentralized. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's super cool. So um, instead of like a, a stable coin like USDC, which, where it tracks the value of the dollar, the US dollar, it's essentially a stable coin for certain equity securities. Exactly. And I think that's where the backlash comes from because these derivatives since they're decentralized it's kind of like like imagine like copyright but for like stocks (laughs) it's like you can create these derivatives of any stock decentralize them now will they be deemed securities will they be deemed you know all these other things i have no idea full disclosure and like flush that thought out for me like what to you what's the benefit of that being excuse me what's the benefit of those securities being decentralized versus you know the securities like we could trade in in traditional quote-unquote traditional equity markets today well i guess if i was to really dig deep my intuition would be that you can do more with them Mm -hmm. like you can provide liquidity now with an amazon stock derivative so you can combine it with something like ethereum or terra and you can farm like i'm just looking at the farm right now they have one for GameStop. They have one for um, Twitter. They have one for Netflix. And basically, if you were to long farm it, you can short farm it. But the long farm APY is 38.13%. And basically, you can stake these and earn more of the native asset to the platform. So in this case, it would be Mirror, which is a crypto. Mm-hmm. So I think because it's crypto, you can just do more with it. That okay. makes sense. Because like with crypto, the one thing about crypto, and I always say this, and I get backlash for this with traditional finance people, is I think crypto tokens are actually an evolution of the stock market because with code, you can program in all these utilities and use cases. And I'm not saying that there, there won't be backlash for that, but... I mean, it's almost impossible to stop because even if you don't call it, you know, M GameStop, you could still make a secret derivative that tracks the value of GameStop and everyone could just trade it. Right. So it's like and stake it and farm it. So it's really interesting. But I think the derivatives market, last time I checked, is the largest market out of any kind of market because it includes betting it includes like you mentioned options it includes anything where you can basically create a situation for loss and gain by a future event that's super interesting yeah so would that cover like pretty much like like any events in the future even not related to like financial instruments like could you use that for say the 
the future outcome of our next presidential election in like 2024, et cetera? Dude, that's a great thought. And actually you can, there's like this one protocol called poly markets that literally does this where they actually like allow you to place bets on future events. So like one thing that I saw, I'm looking at poly markets right now and it says, it's crazy. There's actually a lot of stuff. It says, will Bitcoin price reach 70,000 before November 15th, 2021? And the yes option is obviously pretty low because mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, or no. Oh, sorry. Actually, the, the yes option is eight cents, but the no option is 92 cents. So if for some reason Bitcoin reaches 70,000 before November 15th and what's today, the 13th, then you would you would be able to long that trade. And there's ones for elections too, like um, what's this one? Well, Gavin Newsom be uh, governor of California on December 31, 2021. So there's a yes option of 98 cents and there's no option of two cents. And basically this is on poly polygon, like this marketplace. And you use USD to bet on this, but it's exactly that. It's just another form of derivatives. So there's a bunch of different things from sports to business to chess, even to, you know, environmental bets. But so like, that's, yeah, that's cool. Like if me and you basically we're in a park and there's a tree that looks like it's about to fall. This is like a good example of a derivative. We could create a derivative out of thin air by betting if that tree will fall by a certain date. And that's kind of like the premise for options too, right? Yeah, a little bit. So it's interesting. Um, crypto options is something I'm super bullish on. Projects like odds and things of that nature. What um, what what would be your quick one minute explanation for what options are? Yeah, essentially you can you can bet on the direction um, that you see a security going in. You have to get you know like the direction right and the timing right because um, there are certain strike prices you have to read by like certain dates and that's when the option contracts like expire so if you get the direction right but you don't make it or excuse me if you get the direction wrong um and the timing right you're you you still are not gonna collect like your premium if you're selling an option contract so it's interesting it's like you're, you're betting on the direction of a security as well as as well as the timing um so it's like an extra layer of of complexity almost but what i like about options and what i kind of do when i trade is i don't really bet on the direction of the market i'll usually bet like neutral strategies and i'll balance my portfolio out so that if the market moves left or right i'll be able to make money in any which direction which is kind of cool um a really good resource i learned from was option alpha i think the uh director of the content there his name is kirk and he he does puts out some great content for educational videos really in the options but it's it's super interesting stuff yeah definitely go check out kirk's class if you're thinking about doing options because number one like there's a lot of there's a lot of things to say the first thing is i'm not a financial advisor neither is cam (laughs) so 
definitely go listen to a lot of education before you try anything. But Kirk does run a great free class to get started. Yeah, super cool stuff. His strategy is kind of based around fundamentals and math. He doesn't really bet on like the direction. Um, and I think that's kind of a unique approach. His his uh, he makes money from selling options, and his kind of like edge in the marketplace is betting on implied volatility because um, volatility is one of the main you know components that goes into the price of an option. So when volatility is high, that option contract is you know, relatively speaking, overpriced. So that's kind of when you want to sell. And that's his that's his kind of thesis around options investing. It's super cool stuff. Definitely suggest you check out some of his content. Yeah. So like what about um is volatility is markets with volatility better for option traders, would you say? If you're yeah, if you're an options um for sure, you want you want implied volatility for a given security to be high because, like I said, that's when that's when prices for those contracts are the highest. And if you're a seller, you kind of just take in that premium, and that premium's you know quote unquote relatively overpriced. So you're taking in a higher premium than maybe you should be, which is smart play. I could definitely see how crypto options could be huge then because crypto's nature right now, since it's so new, is a huge volatility. But um, if we could just move on real quick. What do you think about Facebook's rebrand to Meta? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I have heard about it, yep. Um, it is definitely a uh, a bold move from Zuck. I think, you know, <laughs> I think they're losing like a billion a year on Oculus right now already. And the fact that he's willing to double down and bet on the Metaverse is, I think, a super strong statement. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really cool how like how strong his conviction is that that is the future. And, you know, going back to kind of like the crypto discussion, I think this is uh, a really good sign for crypto um, because, you know, Facebook's just kind of another app on the Internet. Like they're still going to have to develop their metaverse on top of other platforms. I think, you know other metaverses built in the blockchain space, you know, whether it be on like Decentraland, um, you know, Cardano's Pavia that we've talked about quite a bit. I think all those like metaverse projects within crypto are going to really benefit from this move from Facebook. Yeah. And we've seen that. We've definitely seen that pretty much every single metaverse product that I've covered is up over a hundred percent since that move. Right on. Yeah. We were just talking about, Pavia earlier today and you know that's uh cardano's kind of version of the central and i'd be i mean if you want to go over that you know a lot more about than about about it than me but uh definitely super cool idea yeah yeah for sure so like pavia is a you know a metaverse it's a startup it's on cardano it's native to cardano they just sold their nfts about a month ago um, they minted them. They sold out, so you can only get them on the secondary marketplace. I started covering it at like a hundred and I think five ADA floor price, like right when it launched. I could see that there would be some big stuff. It bought some land, and uh, basically, it's it's going up. And they just launched this update that they're going to release their token, similar to what Decentraland has, which is a native token called Mana to Decentraland, which is built on Ethereum. 
So Pavia is about to launch their native token. And I think a lot of people in Cardano are getting behind this project, trying to build it out because ultimately having their own metaverse is going to attract users to Cardano, right? And like, I think if people just wait for Decentraland to be interoperable with Cardano, it's not going to do a huge service for Cardano since Decentraland's native blockchain was Ethereum to begin with. So I think um, a, a lot of money is getting involved into that project and a lot of other projects have the same kind of thesis or idea that are trying to build metaverses on a certain blockchain. But uh, it is interesting. It's very interesting. And basically you can use your VR goggles and go into these metaverses. And if you own land, you're going to be able to build on that land and interact with other people. There's been concerts in the central land. It's, it's all going that direction. I completely agree with you, Kim. I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day and one of the guys on the podcast, he mentioned how he thinks that, you know, more high end brands like, uh, I don't know, like Porsche, et cetera. Um, they're going to be doing the majority of their advertising in the metaverse versus in like, you know, our actual base reality here, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, no, I've seen it. I mean, if you walk around the central end, you can already see that taxaccounting.com is advertised everywhere. Uh, some of the major blockchain exchanges are advertised everywhere. And it's just uh, it's just amazing to see how quickly that's become. Because I remember me and Cam were walking around the central end. We were both kicking ourselves because this was like, what, last year? Yeah, must have been December, I think. And, and we were looking at land. And at the time, land was super cheap. Uh, Mana token was wicked cheap. It was probably around like 20 cents. Now it's like at three bucks and, and we were just chilling in the central end. I was just showing them this thing and it was kind of blowing my mind. And I think Cam it was blowing your mind at the same time, probably too. Right. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I just can't wait until we can actually kind of like actually immerse ourselves in the experience and like actually live in the metaverse. You know what I mean? Instead of kind of playing on it through a video game or on a computer rather. Right. Yeah, next stage. And that's going to be so cool. Yeah, it's going to be crazy, man. Um, you're definitely going to see a lot of changes. And I think a lot of people are scared about it because it's like not native to them to live in a metaverse land. And I completely have empathy for that. A lot of old timers. But um, it's definitely the direction of where things are going. So I would encourage anybody to at least take take it serious. But we've discussed it so many times, man, like kind of back tracking her to like more philosophical though like yeah the metaverse to me is almost like just iterative because we've i mean we've talked about this so many times like we're probably not even vi- like we don't exist in base reality like point <laughs> in that direction so if, the fact that people are like hesitant it's almost like yeah you don't you don't even know like you're not you're already probably in a metaverse right now if that makes any sense so are you talking about the elon musk kind of theory yeah, exactly. Like the odds of us living or existing in a base reality right now is super slim. Um, and it's all kind of ties back to like simulation theory, but I just kind of, I kind of can relate simulation theory to the metaverse because, you know, if technology keeps progressing at the rate that it is, I mean, who's to say that the metaverse won't become indistinguishable from reality at a certain point? It is weird sometimes when I'm thinking about something and it just happens. 
like if I'm thinking about a certain person and then they just call me like things like that are like what kind of makes me a little bit like spiritual at times (laughs) and it could just be a coincidence and we could be totally in base reality what would you define base reality as just like ground zero level one where like everything was kind of created from yeah i would define it yeah and it takes a little bit of humility to even venture out and think about how that might not be the case it takes a couple of maybe watching the matrix but um it definitely is uh definitely is interesting how how many different levels there could be to this (laughs) (laughs) exactly Oh, yeah. The other thing that's so crazy is like I was running this Twitter space the other day and Cam was on it just as a listener. And it's it's fun to explain NFTs to people. There was a guy that jumped in and he didn't really he really understand them. And he was asking some some provocative questions, to say the least. And uh... (laughs) I was loving that guy like. (laughs) I was glad he came out and asked that question because I'm still learning and like I wanted a, a good explanation too. But like the, just the way he brought everything up was hilarious. He was like trying to start some chat or something. It was pretty funny. So this guy was like, he he said he was in England at a bar, and and you could just hear that it was extremely loud in the background, and it probably wasn't the best play format for him to learn about a complicated subject matter like nfts but i i agree i'm glad they asked that question too because it led to a lot of discussion later on in the twitter space and like nfts man what do you think about nfts i think that's super cool that example you gave what was the game it was like the sword from the game yeah did that land the best i can go into that too yeah i thought that was helpful for me um like lend an nft out and earn passive income off of that it was super cool but yeah if you want to if you want to go with that example again because i'm not a gamer i don't really even remember what the game was called yeah so like and but in full disclosure i'm not a i'm not a gamer either but i did play world of warcraft because my brother my older brother had like the max stats on his character and it was just fun to go around and shoot people with his like incredibly powerful character and just like and just like troll people and i was just a young kid but um what was great about that example is it was with world of warcraft and it was like if there was a decentralized play to earn game which is huge now then essentially what you could do is as you use your skills right to play the game and if you unlock certain legendary weapons in a play to earn game, you can play around with the actual supply of these weapons. So you can design through code how many of these weapons will ever exist. So let's say that there's one character who's of a certain class, like a mage, and you were looking for a staff. Because mages, I don't know, they do magic, right? They, they, they have wands and staffs. So let's say that you're looking for a really great staff and you get a legendary staff and there's only 10 in existence and you basically got it because you were in a certain dungeon at the right time, right place, and you unlock this weapon. Well, let's say that this wand has certain specs that's good for mages at certain times in the game, like events. 
and you can gain huge amounts of money, like $10,000 for winning these events or just doing well in them. Then the theory is that you could essentially lend out this wand as an NFT because every weapon in a decentralized player in game will be an NFT. And you can lend it out for six days when a certain event is coming. And you could mark that price up quite high because mages that want to participate in this event where it's important to have a wand with the specs of this kind of legendary wand has, let's say it increases your ability to shoot fire spells and the tournament is with fire type mages. Then you could lend that wand out in this special example and you could make maybe $10,000 for six days from lending it out through this entire tournament. That way you don't even need to play the game anymore and you can make money from this NFT. Or if you're just an investor, you can have somebody research this or hire somebody to research this for you, buy a wand from the open marketplace as an NFT and then just lend it out in perpetuity. So can you kind of like flush that out for me? Like, uh, so, so if you're the creator of an NFT, that doesn't necessarily mean like that you're the owner, right? Because you can, like you said, like NFTs can be bought and sold on on a marketplace. But like, if you're the creator, does that always give you like rights to like the royalties created from the NFT, even if you're not the current owner of it? Well, it really depends. You know, it's like. Certain NFTs, what they sell, you can absolutely code in a royalty. So that would basically mean any time in perpetuity that that NFT sells, you could make 2% or 10% of the transaction. So if you're the creator of the game and you create this game, you don't need to take that 10% and put it into your wallet. The smart games will actually take that 10% of all the royalties generated from people buying and selling these NFTs and put them back into the rewards for the game. So like, let's say that there's a wand that sells for a hundred dollars and has a 10% royalty, right? You can then like take that $10 because 10% of a hundred is 10 and put it back into the reward pool. So that way, as people play your game and complete quests and challenges, they get a percentage of the treasury. So it's like a cycle that can continue to reward players for improving playing the game, but it in which is great because now you have people in third world developing countries that just have internet access and they're already doing this with Axie Infinity, which is a game allowed to play the game, earn real world currency because you can trade the in-game currency for you know U.S. dollars and make an actual profession or a living from it. So the royalty question is great because it kind of allowed me just to go into how these games can create a really nice cycle or an economy that can then fund all these other initiatives. Something really cool that I've seen with Axie is they have a scholarship program. So essentially, if you're a huge investor and you don't have time to play Axie, but you want the rewards, you can give 50% of your rewards out for somebody in a third world country to just play your characters for you. So if you're making like a thousand bucks a day, you can say, okay, I'm not going to have time to play the game. So I'll give somebody that plays my character and you can set up a contract eventually. I'm not sure if you can do this yet, but you can say like, you won't get the rewards until you play every day for 30 days. And then through a smart contract, 
they'll get 500 bucks a day at the end of 30 days for playing the game in like 30 days. And that's to assure that they're going to keep playing for you and that you're going to make the same amount of money since it's a 50-50 split. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, appreciate that explanation. Yeah, man. Like these are all the things that are going to be like more and more done and possible with PDE. But um, no, it's just funny because NFTs doesn't just go to that. Like it goes to so many different other things, man. But um, yeah, dude. So anyways, bro. So like NFTs, crypto, DeFi, play to earn games. The other thing that's interesting is like what crypto. So what what I guess I'd like to ask you, Cam, and and we don't have to talk for much longer on this podcast because we've covered a lot of different stuff. But what other pressing matters economically do you see um, that need to be fixed besides inflation? Yeah, great question. I think. Uh... Honestly, for me, like the biggest thing is economic opportunity and just like, you know, the gap in wealth and, you know, you can look at that in many different ways. Like you can say like the United States is a very wealthy country versus, you know, third world countries in Africa that don't have nearly the same economic opportunities we do. But then even on a smaller scale, like within the United States, there's such a disparity in the wealth gap, you know, like with the top 1% versus, uh, you know, people who are, you know, less socioeconomically advantaged. Um, so I think that's just like, like a huge macroeconomic issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and I'm actually really glad you just brought up that question because I know you recently interviewed uh, someone from Africa. I forget which country in Africa, but Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that because I am interested in this like Cardano Africa collaboration. I don't know much about the project and like what they're doing, but I was going to look into that interview later today and kind of learn more because that's something I am super interested in. Um, Just kind of like, like I said, I think that the the lack of economic freedom and mobility in a lot of areas is like a huge countrywide and worldwide issue. And if like crypto projects like this one with Cardano that I just mentioned can kind of address that and help, uh, you know, narrow the gap, that would be, that would be absolutely huge. I think that is by far for me, the most important economic issue right now. So uh, if you could comment on that project a little bit, if you know anything about it, that'd be actually awesome. I'd be love, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so essentially, I agree, man. It's like economic equality is one of my main passions. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, essentially, I think Cardano is a great example. And it's not just for, you know, changing the world. I mean, Cardano's goal is to change the world, no doubt. But like, Where I come in, though, is I never say that my goal is to, like, change the world or, like, help people because ultimately what I do is based on what I really enjoy, which is, like, fun. And I think a byproduct of of what I do is education, which does help and and is helping to change the world. But I'm not going to say I'm some noble saint 
So economic equality, the reason why it's a passion for me is not just because of third world countries, but because I know that there's a lot of people in this country and, and all over the world that like are just not happy doing what they're doing. And they're stuck in jobs that they don't want to do. And there's stressful jobs and there's there's all these different things. But I think crypto is like bringing a lot of fun and a lot of opportunity the same way the Internet did to doing things that you might really enjoy or love to do. As far as Cardano in Africa, I think from a business standpoint, it really made sense because what they're doing is if you look at China back in like the 80s, you can see that most of their population was youths. And that was the stat that the um, that Osh, the guy that I was interviewing, shared with me. And if you look at Africa right now, most of their population is youths. So Africa is no doubt, in my mind, like a super powered country that's developing and is just going to be this this very this very like economic leader of our world in the next 30 to 40 years and i think that's where it's going and and the reason why it's a smart business move for cardano to tap into that is because they can teach this stuff at very minimal costs and supply a lot of wealth to africa because there's one thing that the world needs more of it's software engineers so they're opening up all these programs and initiatives to basically teach for free in a lot of cases and sometimes to actually pay these, um, you know, initiatives, pay the pay the participants of these initiatives to learn things like Plutus, which is the language of Cardano. And I think them targeting that market is incredibly smart business wise, because, number one, it's definitely going to help the economy of Africa which is great. And I'm super stoked about that. I'm glad I'm part of Cardano and I'm glad that's like part of what they're doing. But the other part is they're basically indoctrinating this new language to a country with mostly youths and they're building a foundation for Cardano to be like the blockchain in Africa. And I think that will translate in a few years and we're all going to see it. Um, over time so it's it's a lot of like from what i understood like it's a lot of vocational um education like they're they're training software engineers that's a big part of it um that's one part of it i mean there's so many there's so many initiatives man like it runs it really does run the gamut but i think from like just building in building in africa first what they're doing is they're bypassing a lot of more competitive areas of the world. Like everyone's trying to get into Asia. Everyone's trying to get into the States right now for blockchain. Cardano was like, you know what? This is underpriced attention. We can really do something that will help and that will matter at the same time. So we're going to go to countries like Africa and really build a foundation and a structure there. And it's going to help Africa. It's going to help us and we're going to be stronger because of it. Okay. Well, that's super cool. Yeah. Definitely like that initiative. So that's something I would definitely love to like be a part of. Cause, um, you know, it's, it's a super exciting space, but like the fact that the mission is to make like 
the world a better place at the same time and like bring economic equality to underprivileged countries within Africa. That's just like super cool, super moving. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, like I really do think Africa is going to be a powerhouse and, and Osh even said that blockchain and Cardano, what it, what it means to a lot of younger, you know, like uh, people in Africa is hope to be able to, cause, cause a lot of people don't trust their governments all over the world, by the way, not just in Africa, but all over the world. <laughs> and, and what that means is like, they don't trust their governments to really help them uh, create a strong economy and have like a, a good quality of life in perpetuity. So the blockchain and Cardano in Africa means hope because what the opportunities that are coming out of getting involved with Cardano and blockchain in general will be just high growth opportunities in perpetuity. And you don't need a lot to start, you know? So it's, it's all about infiltrating the educational systems, building partnerships with companies and governments in these countries. Mm-hmm. And Cardano has definitely been very successful at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll see like the government projects to me are have really caught my eye. Like, I think we briefly talked about this the other day, like, these city coins coming out i think miami has this coin <laughs> and i think new york city has this coin i think austin texas has this coin and i think you know a bunch more are going to roll out yeah um but you know i think a big talking point in politics is like what sound public policy is and yeah. you know a lot of that comes down to taxing like that's a big focal point in the discussion and I, what I'm really interested in, in, in like this city coin project, is the fact that like I don't know how exactly the mechanics work, so correct me if I'm wrong in this, but like when people are mining these coins, I guess thirty percent of the rewards go towards like each city's treasury. So essentially, it's like a new source of revenue for these cities, and that could, I mean, if if these things become widely adopted, like the need to tax will become reduced drastically because this is a whole new source of revenue for these cities that they don't need to um, accumulate through taxation now, if that makes sense. Like, I just think that's super interesting. A hundred percent, bro. I completely agree with that, actually. And it's like, it's like, um, I use this concept with small businesses, actually. I think the only thing that can get in the way of crypto really making the quality of everybody's economic life a lot better no matter where you're from or what you're doing is basically ourselves whether that be our individual governments trying to impede this due to maybe being scared that it could greatly affect the legacy systems Mm -hmm. or just our own limited understanding of what these things are and our own fear of this kind of change. But I use this for small businesses too, because I think that NFTing small business revenue is going to be a very, very good thing for both small businesses and communities. Um, I talk in my channel sometimes about this coffee shop example, where if you live in like a part of the city, whether it be South Boston or, or whether it be Queens, New York, and you really like a coffee shop that you go to locally every day and you get like a $7 latte or something crazy, whatever, it, whatever <laughs> it is. 
then like if you own an NFT that provides a portion of the revenue to the coffee shops like systems, you can essentially gain passive income from all the transactions done at that coffee shop. The coffee shop can mark these NFTs up as high as they want when they initially sell them and make an initial seed amount of capital. But what's also great is anytime these NFTs trade, the coffee shop can design in royalties that also gives them an initial, you know, boost of capital from thin air without having to sell any goods. Because if somebody wants to liquidate their NFT asset that's worth a million dollars, let's say for 0.01% of a coffee shop's revenue in forever, then the coffee shop just made a hundred grand. Yeah, that's super cool because it's like, it like covers the whole spectrum of like the financial landscape for the coffee shop. Cause it's like, they get, they get capital and funding from, from like the NFT or token. Um, the consumer like has rights to the company or the coffee shop's revenue. So therefore they benefit. And then the coffee shop's also making money like when, when they get traded. So that's, that's super cool. The other thing too, that's the most important part of this example is now you're investing in your own community. Right. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think that's also like the same thing with Miami coin. Like you're investing in your city. I like, I like that concept. That is really interesting. Yeah, exactly, bro. And you can short other cities. So (laughs) if you believe in like Miami or Texas, you can short New York, you know, it's just like, it's just crazy, man. (laughs) That's kind of messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i didn't even think about that that's funny yeah but it is kind of cool dude what if everyone just got together and they're like yo like just like screw san francisco or something like that (laughs) (laughs) Um, well the coolest part about that though is like it's it's basically like a vote you know because you can see it from from it's like what crypto and nfts do is they align economic interests with the business or entity so you can see it's pretty transparent where the future of something is going by the stock price sometimes and it's not all about that but it is something that i look at there's a reason why amazon has performed so well or tesla or apple has performed so well it's because the general you know sentiment of the market thinks that those companies are performing well so i think that it could be like a little bit of a vote a public vote to see which coins are performing uh, depending on the communities. And that could be like a little bit of a a better way to articulate to maybe politicians, hey, like we really, our economy needs to be a little bit more prioritized right now. And, yeah. and it'll show directly to them. And then, then their initiatives will also be in the, in the interest of the, the community, um, the community's economy, as well as, as other things, which is a little bit harder to articulate. So I think it just provides a little bit of a transparency. And I just thought that as you were speaking, I was like, huh, that's another interesting nuance to that. <laughs> Can you kind of explain to me like what DAOs are? Yeah. So a decentralized autonomous organization is a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. And I think Twitter is probably going to become one in the next five years. I think, you know, some other social media apps stand to gain a lot, but I use social media. So let's take Twitter. And the thing about Twitter is you have consumers 
and then you have advertisers and then you have the company mm-hmm. like any social media app so basically all the money flows up from the consumer's data to from the advertisers monetizing or excuse me from from the advertisers paying the platform to show their ads and then the platform gets all the money mm-hmm. so the way that a dao would transfer this uh, cycle of wealth is fundamentally revolutionary because you would instead provide the consumer a way to also benefit from people using their data. So basically there would be a Twitter coin and the Twitter coin would be given to users that are providing their data, whether that be on a daily, weekly, basically for using the platform. And essentially the Twitter coin would be worth real dollars. And then how it would work is the advertisers would pay Twitter, the the users would get compensated for the coin, and then the advertising money would go into a Dow treasury, which could go into um, improving the platform. The other thing that people outside of using Twitter could do is invest in the Twitter coin, which would actually increase the value of the Dow's treasury, which would actually create a, a... just a more mutual relationship cycle between investors, users, and the company. Because the user's interest, like a big, a lot of people complain about these platforms using their data. But if you were compensated for people using your data and it was transparent that your data was going to be used, I think a lot less people would complain. <laughs> right. So like it's, it's aligning the financial interests between the company the users and the investors. And that's something that we've never been able to do before DAOs. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, using like a social media example is good in that case, because definitely I see the, uh, you know, the clash between advertisers and, you know, like consumers just cause I feel like, what was that uh, Netflix show that came out about like, Oh, the social dilemma. Yeah, just like the fact that these companies are kind of <laughs> like mining our personal data for their their benefit is, you know, it's pretty one sided for sure. Yeah, so that's a good example, definitely. Yeah, dude, that that movie was crazy, bro. Yeah, that one makes you think for sure. Definitely a fan of like myself overall accountability, just like knowing kind of like okay, I'm using this platform for free, and it's there's there's always a trade. So I think that that movie was great because it educated people on, on exactly what that trade was. And I think awareness needs to be built around uh, about about what these platforms are doing and how it affects people. And, and that will help safeguard yourself from the effects of these things or the ignorance of where they're getting their money from. Yeah. But um, anyways, bro, dude, I don't know, man. I think we should probably end it there, man. That was like a good little session, dude. Yeah, sounds good to me, dude. Appreciate that uh that dialogue. That was a good time. I feel yeah, bro. I'll I'll call you real quick after we um finish this and we can decide if we wanna let it fly or if we just wanna hold on to it. But um <laughs> All right, weird. thanks for coming on to the uh thanks for thanks for having this discussion with me. Absolutely, dude. Likewise. Thank you. All right, and thank you guys for listening if we do end up throwing this out there into the inner inner webs <laughs> take care guys